0: Coming up on this week's show, Coastal Magic featured author Z.A. Maxfield joins us. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture.
1: Welcome to episode 220 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will from WillKanaus.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hi, everybody. This episode of the show is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Awesome. Welcome back, everybody. Happy holidays. This week has, like,
0: all the holidays in it. Hanukkah is is starting. Christmas is this week. Kwanzaa would be this week. Happy holidays, everybody, no matter how you're celebrating. We hope you have an excellent week and get some good books in there too. Now it's time for Romance Revisited, our look at some of the gay romances that have recently been re-released. Remember, if you haven't read it yet, then it is new to you. And as we did last week, we're going to focus on holiday stories.
1: What have you got for us? First up, we have The Best by Tinian. Ransom Burke has instituted a firm policy of no-work fraternization. Then comes the day the very appealing Parrish Rutledge comes to work for him. Parrish is immediately attracted to his new boss, but he knows, due to the company policy, it can't go anywhere. In the aftermath of the office Christmas party, things change between them, and Parrish is given a choice. Keep his job, and know he can never again see Ransom as anything other than his boss, or quit and become his lover. (laughs) Lover. (laughs) Paris's choice will either lead to a Christmas day where he once again will be alone, or the best present ever will be underneath his tree.
0: I'm going to say that the best present ever is going to be under his tree.
1: Next up, we have His Needs by Christy Bethke. When state trooper Travis Kinslow is injured right before Thanksgiving, the only positive is that for once, he won't be working during the holidays. As an ER nurse, Noah is a caretaker by nature. When his brother's best friend is hurt, he's happy to help Travis while he heals. He's only ever allowed himself to think of Travis as the next best thing to an older brother. But by the light of the Christmas tree, Noah finally sees Travis's true feelings, and in that moment, Everything changes.
0: That one also sounds oh so
1: sweet. You found some good stuff this week, I have to say. And last, we're going to talk about Analog to Digital by Posey Roberts. Ethan has been telling lies. He says he's happy with the way things are, but he longs for a deeper commitment with Toby. So spending Christmas Eve at his sister's wedding is the last thing on his wish list. At the ceremony, he sees everything he's dreamed of, It makes him ache for even more, but he knows Toby is allergic to marriage. If he keeps living the status quo, he'll be lying to the man he loves. But if he admits he wants it all, he risks losing Toby entirely. He needs a Christmas miracle. there are some super sweet
0: titles for you on this holiday week. If you'd like to browse this week's complete list of re-release titles, head on over to the show notes page for episode 220 at biggayfictionpodcast.com.
2: The new adult hockey romance Rivals by Jeff Adams is now available in audiobook as performed by Derek McLean, Mitchell Turner and Alex Goodman squared off on the ice throughout high school their rivalry was tough on Mitchell because he harbored a huge crush on Alex. With high school and college behind them, they meet unexpectedly on Thanksgiving Day, once again on the ice. Mitchell is thrilled to see his one-time adversary all grown up. With their rivalry in the past, could this be the start of something magical for the holidays and beyond? Written by Jeff Adams and performed by Derek McLean, Rivals is available at Amazon.com, Audible, and iTunes. Also available in ebook. Get your copy today. So, before we get into the books this week,
0: uh, I went to the movies yesterday and I actually went solo. I went to see that movie musical that just came out this past weekend with Cats. And I did not make Will come on this adventure because Cats really is not his thing. And I could say for sure that if you're not already a fan of this musical, you're not going to like it after seeing this movie. But as a fan of the show for many years, I could say that I truly adored this translation onto the big screen. The CGI cats that we've all seen in the trailers have been working really well for me. Some really good acting choices here, too. I really enjoyed Judy Dench's old Deuteronomy, kind of the, the head of the cats who is going to make this choice on who gets to go up to... Kitty Heaven, which is really what this entire movie is about. A bunch of cats who are looking to get their next set of lives and go up to the Happy side layer, aka Kitty Heaven. Judy was quite uh, regal as one might imagine, and I totally bought into her performance. They've also done a nice job in, this, in the movie version of kind of extrapolating on the story a little bit more. Uh, you kind of understand why the cats are all vying to get up to Kitty Heaven. Uh, they've also given the movie More of a bad guy in this case. There's a cat called McCavity who, in the stage production, kidnaps old Deuteronomy partway through the show. In this case, he's kidnapping a lot of cats because he wants to go to kitty heaven. And if he can't go, then no one goes. So having a a better villain certainly makes that go better. There's also the cutest little love story between Mr. Mistopheles and Victoria that manifests itself really nicely on the big screen in a way that it doesn't in the stage show. I have to say Taylor Swift was better than I anticipated her to be in in her role helping out Bad Guy McCavity. Idris Elba was off the charts. He chews up a lot of scenery as Bad Guy McCavity, but he was also really good. And of course, give Jennifer Hudson the belty song of the entire movie, and she totally knocks that out of the park. Uh, A couple things did miss the mark for me. There's a new song in the show called Beautiful Ghosts written by andrew lloyd Webber and taylor swift and it just didn't quite click for me it didn't seem to fit into the show and it's very hit or miss i think with andrew lloyd Webber's oscar bait what he wrote for evita actually worked its way into the stage show eventually and but what he wrote for phantom of the opera uh kind of left itself on the cutting room floor of that movie also jason Derulo as rum rum tugger didn't quite have the swagger that that cat is supposed to have in my view and also kind of left me a little scratching my head why he was playing that on the big screen.
1: Your mileage with Cats may certainly vary. I thoroughly adored it. Now, as we start to close out the holiday season, one other Christmas-themed movie you might want to consider watching is Let It Snow. It's a Netflix exclusive, and this movie is based on the YA book by John Green, Lauren Miracle, and Maureen Johnson.
0: Yes, I... I've always seen this book on the bookshelves and was like, hmm, maybe I should read that. I like John Green. And and now I wish I had, because this movie is absolutely adorable. This movie had a feel of British movies, like Love Actually, where you've got a lot of people who all crisscross each other and then ultimately kind of all end up at the same place. And in this case, there's a big snowstorm that has hit this town and everybody is settling in for Christmas Eve. And all these different people are coming together from different walks of life, different students running into each other. A lot of it goes down at the local Waffle House kind of establishment. But it's all, it's super cute. And it's really hard to say what it's really about because it's just this slice of life. And yet I super duper enjoyed it.
1: One thing I was struck by as I was watching the movie is, is that when it comes to my YA flavored teen cinematic romps, I am much more of a Disney Channel kind of a guy. So I'm used to like bright pops of color and sort of like saccharine situations, which isn't a a diss to Disney Channel movies. I love them to pieces. So that was a little bit what I was expecting with Let It Snow. And that wasn't really what I got. I think It wasn't necessarily gritty because there are some sort of like ridiculous situations that our characters find themselves in. But I think it was a little bit more realistic. Some of the characters are dealing with some difficult sort of melancholy over the holidays. So it was really unexpected and I liked it a lot. Yeah.
0: But speaking of Disney Channel, one of the lead guys in it is Mitchell Hope, who was the king in all three Descendants movies. So we did get to see his kind of gritty, more real side because he was not kingly in this movie at all. Also, in terms of some adult cameos, Joan Cusack plays a tow truck driver who is is literally runs around in a tinfoil hat. We never find out why she's wearing the tinfoil, which just adds to her kookiness in this character overall. Plus, Darcy Carton, who is from The Good Place, has a small part as the publicist of a teen rock star who also is wandering around in this town on Christmas Eve. It was a delightful 90-minute slice of life. I think slice of life is the best thing to call it because it's just these people in a snowstorm on Christmas Eve, occasionally doing kooky things. There's a really cute pig that shows up in this thing too. But yeah, if you want to give that a shot as we go through this holiday week, that is Let It Snow on Netflix. Now, as Will said, we're closing out the holiday time and that means we've got just enough time for a
1: couple more holiday books. So what is your last holiday book of the season? I want to talk about Making the Naughty List by Daryl Banner. Now it's about a nice guy named Daniel who is making his way home to spend some time with his family over the holidays, a prospect that he's not particularly looking forward to. When his car gets a flat tire, he is effectively um, stranded in the middle of nowhere because he has no idea how to change said flat tire. Luckily, a sinfully sexy biker named Cass comes to his rescue, and as he puts on Daniel's spare, they chat about a lot of different things, including what would Daniel do if he had three Christmas wishes. When the tire is fixed, Daniel continues on his journey with the hopes that things might be better this year and... And when Daniel arrives and finds that his family is as loud and as overbearing as ever, they steamroll over anything he says or does. His thoughts and feelings are irrelevant. And after a particularly difficult family dinner, Cass magically appears on his family's doorstep. The stranger is, he's cocky and flirtatious and sexy as hell, and he's going to make Daniel's first wish come true. He will be the perfect hot holiday boyfriend. Now, Daniel is reticent at first, but after an amazing blowjob from Cass, he decides that the whole fake boyfriend thing might not be so bad after all. Um, Cass is a hit with everybody, and Daniel's Christmas is shaping up to be pretty spectacular, especially when they must share the tight quarters of Daniel's childhood bedroom. Um, Blowjobs aren't the only thing that Cass knows how to do really well. <laughs> When asked who he really is, Cass admits to being a wintertime spirit sent from the North Pole to make all of Daniel's holiday dreams come true. (laughs) Daniel thinks Cass is being funny because, you know, he's joking, right? Well, of course. When the sun rises on the day of Christmas Eve, the Texas landscape outside Daniel's window is covered with freshly fallen snow. A perfect white Christmas. Daniel's second wish. After a day in the snow, the Christmas magic seems to have affected everybody, and the usual family squabbles are kind of at a blissful lull. And later that night, Daniel and Cass sneak out to go to a neighborhood playground that used to be decorated for the holidays. They arrive to find it bare, but in Cass's presence, the playground is soon sparkling with holiday magic. They go home and they bake cookies for Santa before Daniel decides on his final wish, Cass. Not just for the weekend, but for always. When Daniel awakens on Christmas morning, Cass is gone. And Daniel's family don't remember any of the events of the past few days because it seems that holiday magic has a sell-by date. Though the spirit of the season does allow Daniel to honestly mend some fences with his family members. On his drive home, Daniel gets another flat tire. Since the events of the last couple of days have ceased to exist, he gets a tire for the first time. Uh, Stranded, Daniel is delighted to hear the familiar roar of a motorcycle engine. It's Cass. He has gotten his final Christmas wish. The man of his dreams has come to his rescue for the second or first time uh, they introduce themselves and daniel suggests that they leave his old clunker on the side of the road and grab dinner together they roar off into the sunset together Now, you might think I've given away a lot of detail about the story, and you might think that I've spoiled everything about the ending, but (laughs) I have not. (laughs) There is an amazing epilogue that shows our heroes several years in the future detailing the love and the life that they now share. And I have to say that it is pure romance crack. It is sweet, and it is sappy, and it made me so fucking happy. And I know that when you read it, you will go, oh, just like I did. If you can't already tell, I really enjoyed making The Naughty List. This is the first Daryl Banner book that I've read, and I don't think it's going to be the last. I totally fell in love with the heroes, and I sympathized a lot with Daniel and his dilemma in dealing with his difficult family, who, I think to the author's credit, weren't cardboard villains, but real characters with complicated family dynamics. It made Daniel's resolution with his sister and brother and his mom that much more powerful because the characters and the people, they were really flushed out. So, with a sexy dash of magical realism, making The Naughty List is a must-read for fans of holiday romance. And yes, I know that sounds like a super cheesy cheeseball promo blurb, but I don't care because it it was 1,000% true. So, I went aww several times while you were telling us about that book. I
0: would totally imagine that, having all the aws, And uh, now you made me Maybe you have to make me read one after the holiday season two, and that's not fair. <laughs> so my final holiday book of the season is Mangoes and Mistletoe by Adriana Herrera. As with other books in Adriana's catalog, you should be ready to be hungry as you read this because this is one wonderful holiday confection. This time, the setting is a holiday baking competition, which is filming two weeks before Christmas Eve in a Scottish castle. So... You know, how wonderful is that baking competition in Scotland in a castle? This competition pairs up Keskia and Sully, two Dominican pastry chefs with very different reasons for being there. Keskia is driven, determined, desperate to win, to get not only the prize money, but the internship at the fancy patisserie that one of the show's judges runs. It's not only a good career move, but she needs it to be able to extend her visa in the U.S. Sully wants the prize money to be able to strike out on her own, rather than selling her creations at her family's New York City bodega. They see each other as good teammates in terms of skill, but sparks fly early when they have very different points of view with how to win. Keskia wants to keep it classic, and maybe a little bit safe, while Sully wants to infuse everything with Dominican flavors the compromises on their baking don't come easily. However, they do immediately see each other for the distraction that they can be for each other. Keskia is mesmerized by Sully's looks, including the kissable lips and the way Sully says her name. Keskia keeps her walls up though, eyes on the prize and all. Sully's first thought is that Keskia is a tall drink of cafe con leche, but she senses Keskia's distance and at least at first doesn't try to break those walls down. Of course, just to make it interesting, not only are these two teammates, but they're also sharing a room in the castle where everybody is staying. So there really is no getting away from each other, which is both good and bad since they're equally smitten with each other and passionate about the baking and the competition. It makes for some great push and pulls between them and some truly delicious internal dialogue. Here's a case in point with one of Keskia's moments to herself. I offended her by saying I thought she was too much when the reality was I couldn't get enough." Adriana does a perfect job of swirling the inner monologue together with the descriptions of the emotional turmoil the two are experiencing and the escalating impacts. It doesn't get any easier when Sully and Keskia let their desires take over as the competition hits the midpoint. If anything, it makes moving forward all the more difficult as each sees that they can't really have the other. Even as they are working better in the kitchen, Keskia bristles because she's worked so hard to keep her heritage and feelings in the background, her eyes on the prize mentality nearly costs her everything. The HEA, of course, is a delight, and I have to say that Adriana, of course, stressed me out a little bit as we headed into the final segment of the book because the HEA didn't quite fall in the place I expected it to. That, of course, made everything all the sweeter to see how these two women found their way to each other. Of course, that happened on Christmas Eve, as the competition had started to be on television. Now, beyond the delightful romance, I love the cooking show intrigue. I mean, what really happens backstage at those cooking shows? Is everybody all happy and smiley? In this case, no, there is a fair bit of potential sabotage going on, which just added a nice little wrinkle to the whole story. Adriano whipped up some fun here, not to mention some mouth-watering recipes. There really, really, really should be a companion cookbook to this. The four teams that start the competition were well drawn up front and proved to be great characters for Kiskia and Sully to interact with. The Beckas, who are two women named Rebecca, each spelled differently, were deceitful all along and super fun villains. And Adriana, if you're listening, I'd love to see Alex and Derek's story as well. They clearly found a little something something between each other during the competition. So perhaps we get that story next holiday season, hint, hint. Mangoes and Mistletoe was the perfect capping to a year of amazing Adriana Herrera reading and a look forward to what comes next from her.
1: Now, if you're interested in learning more about the books or anything else that we've talked about in this week's show, all you have to do is go to where? Oh, yeah, you guessed it. It's the show notes page for episode 220 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com.
2: Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews, too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. Please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast.
0: As long-time listeners of the show know, I'm a huge fan of Z.A. Maxfield. Uh, Her St. Nacho series is one of my all-time favorite gay romance series. And got the opportunity to talk to her this past week because she is one of the Coastal Magic featured authors that we're talking to this year on the show. I got the lowdown on some stuff that's coming up in 2020 as we lead into the Coastal Magic season, along with some other new works on the horizon. I am so super excited to welcome back to the podcast, Z.A. Maxfield. Thank you so much for being here.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I really love being here with you.
0: It has been way too long it seems like yesterday and then like actually the three years that it is since we've had you on the show right?
3: I know and those three years have been eventful and silly and you know it's just been a long three years it feels like a longer three years than than my three years is used to feel like
0: indeed I absolutely agree <laughs> with you on that without
3: saying anything <laughs> else it's been a long three years
0: So let's delve into books. You've been on a re-release schedule a lot this year. And your latest ones are around your Brother's Grime series. Tell us about this series.
3: Well, the series I began... The series with the idea that I got in an RWA meeting. And I think the author who was speaking was Vicki Dryling. And she talked about how one day she got this idea of doing a high concept story as a kind of mashup between Regency romance and The Bachelorette. <laughs> and she said she thought it was fun, the idea to take a television show and then mash it up with something I thought. What if I took gay romance and I mashed it up with dirty jobs? And there are so many different kinds of dirty jobs, but my very favorite one is crime scene cleaning. So that's what I was like, gay romance, crime scene cleaning. Could two men fall in love while cleaning up a biohazardous waste? So that's really what I thought of. And it it has two really interesting components. And one is that it's a crime story where the crime is committed completely off page and the crime is solved off page. You know, I mean, it's really a story about crime without any kind of police procedural elements. So I thought that was interesting. And then, of course, I thought how interesting it was to have people who know how to do that and they have to see these things and every day they go to work knowing that they're going to see something pretty grim and i thought that was interesting too so that's what made me want to do that
0: i love where the plot bunny came from first and how how you (laughs) took it from the bachelorette to dirty jobs
3: right right and you know i'd only actually seen one episode of dirty jobs Oh, no, two. But one was the crime scene one and the other one was collecting bull semen. And I thought that would be interesting, too, if I wanted to go the cowboy route. But I picked the crime scene one. And then, of course, that lent itself to so many wonderful grime jokes because, you know, grime doesn't pay and partners in grime and grime and punishment, you know, so that was enjoyable. Those were the enjoyable little subtitles I got to add to each book. And there was good puns to be had.
0: (laughs) How much research did you have to do to delve into the world of crime scene cleanup?
3: I felt like I did more than, you know, I mean, it was was kind of, you know, you have to look and see who does these jobs. And so I kind of looked up the people in my neighborhood who do, like, you could actually look in the white pages on your computer and find the different crime scene cleanup companies. I also watched lots of videos about how crime scene cleaners work and at the time I didn't realize but there were right at the same time that must have all occurred to us all at the same time there were was a television show that was or a movie that was based on crime scene cleaning and then there was an wasn't there an Australian murder mystery show where a husband and wife crime scene cleaning team go and they're working and as they work, they solve the mystery. I think there was so there there was a lot of interest in this at the same time. And I bet it was sparked by that dirty job show or I don't know what, but it was kind of a zeitgeist thing. So I did have a lot of material to watch.
0: <laughs> so tell us about Eddie and about Jack.
3: Well, Jack was my favorite because he was the first one. And he's kind of a shorter book. So when I re-released it, I added extra material because he wasn't really long enough for a, for a full print version, you know. And I wanted to give people a little something extra. I had this vision of him being someone who has to go to a crime scene cleanup and confront cleaning the remains or what was left after the body's taken away of the suicide of his high school boyfriend. Oh my
2: goodness!
3: And uh, That's the high school—it boy- is heavy, right? And the high school boyfriend was a, a tremendous betrayer, and actually led a mob of kids to beat him up. And it was—I mean, it's—it's it's actually that particular incident that informs the story of all three men who work at this crime scene cleanup because they all were really good friends in high school, but. He finds out that his ex-boyfriend who, you know, betrayed him, killed himself, you know, and they're in their late 20s. And he has he decides that he's the one that's going to clean that scene. And of course, all his friends tell him, no, you can't do that. You know, that would be terrible for you. You know, you have all this baggage around this. And uh, he just he insists. But he goes there and he discovers that the man killed himself in the home of his look-alike cousin, who is determined to clean it himself. So it's like this: they they kind of have to work together, and it's it was a really it's a very heavy story, but it, it's kind of also very lighthearted, and it's a love story. And leave it to me to try and jam all that into one little tiny box, right? <laughs> uh, you know me. You if do I
0: like to take on the complex things. Egg.
3: Yes, I do. I'll throw in another grizzly, as my, my father-in-law used to always say, if a story is boring, just throw in another grizzly. And I guess I did throw in a few grizzlies in this one. But I, I loved the story because it's really about facing this ancient betrayal and learning to find love and of course he has to you know he falls in love with a guy who looks just like the guy who betrayed him the thing is is i was sitting in that romance writers of america meeting and the entire trilogy came to me like venus on the half shelf fully formed in my head i knew exactly what it was going to be about and crime scene cleaners don't just do crime they do hoarding situations they do animal hoarding and all these other things. That brings me to Eddie, who has a different story, but it was also affected by this teen crime that you know happened to his friend. And he falls in love with someone who has secrets, family secrets. And so that's fun, that's fun and it's a different kind of story. It's not like every single book somebody has to go in and clean up a crime scene. Mm -hmm. And if I could think of a whole I would love to keep going with those. But there's three guys and now and, um, you know, I don't really have co-workers for them to (laughs) I want to do it some more. You know, it was just so much fun to write. But the third one is the the final story is coming up and it's going to be released. I'm looking at January 21st. So that's the release date of that. I'll be putting it up a couple weeks earlier for pre-order. I, I really enjoyed this one, too, because this is the first time I've ever written a book where I give my character everything he wants in the first chapter and then totally take it away in the second.
0: Oh, so, wow.
3: Yeah. So, that could be
0: called Mean.
3: It it was terribly mean. I can't even I was I was like, oh my gosh, my readers are gonna kill me when they see this because I don't really do this. But you know, sometimes you just do what you have to do. And I so I I did it. We'll see. This one is about Gabe and Dave. Gabe is the third owner of the Brothers Grime. The three men are Jack and Eddie and Gabe, and they are childhood friends. Who grew up and they decided Jack was a firefighter, but he got uh, injured on the job. And so he wanted a job that he could still stay helping the people and stay with first responders. And, you know, he would be around the periphery of an environment that he had, he was very used to and, and, and felt comfortable in. And so he decides with his friends that they're going to do this crime scene cleanup thing. And so they know all the cops and they know all the things. Well, one of their childhood friends grew up to be a cop. And so he's a police detective now. And every so often he throws them business.
0: And what's the title of, of book three so people yeah, can find it when he gets up Grime, there for pre order?
3: It's called Grime Doesn't Pay, but it's, it's Gabe. Grime Doesn't Pay. Dave is his love interest in, and and you see in the first two books how how Gabe sort of start he's looking at Dave in the first book and he's you know sidling up to Dave in the second book and he finally has everything he wants. So then I take it away. It is terrible. I'm a terrible <laughs> person.
0: Was it fun to have the the camaraderie or the brothers through those it, stories too?
3: It really is. It's very fun and you know you establish I had to because it's been so long since I'd written those two first two books I had to read through everything and create a new story bible and it was fun you know so I could give the characters their actual their characteristics and it was fun it was it's fun I really would like to write a band of brothers kind of story now cuz that was that was fun to do take each guy and give him his own book you know
0: mm-hmm. Go to another RWA meeting, get a new plot yes, bunny.
3: that's it, a new plot bunny. <laughs> it's funny how, it, how long it took me to finally get to this. And then and then the nerves hit, you know, I thought, well, gosh, it's been so long and people have this expectation. And what if I don't meet it? So so but then I thought, what the heck? I'm just going to do do my best. And like I've done with every other book I've ever written, you just do your best. And it's like underwear. You run it up the flagpole and singing salutes. You know, <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. But that's the drama of being a writer. You just have to fling it out there.
0: Another of your re-releases that has just come out is one of your classics, Home the Hard Way.
3: Right. Well, you know, it's funny because I don't think of that one as a classic, but it is, I think, one of the best books I've ever written. And it was really, you know, it was long and it was involved and it's kind of a little gothic You know, it's it's a it's guy goes back to his hometown and there's secrets and there's a dark kind of it's very atmospheric. And I really enjoyed writing that. What's interesting about that one is that it I was doing this balancing act between what I really wanted to write was a mystery. And I think what my fans really expect from me is a romance. And so I, I had this weird balancing act between creating a mystery and yet still imbuing it with romantic elements. And so it, it, it has a happily for now ending. But I think a lot of people were waiting for one of my golden, everybody's tucked in, and endings. You know, and that
0: is the way your romances do tend to go. And there we go.
3: I tuck them all in. I kiss them goodnight. You know, they're snuggled up and it's fine. Yeah. At the end, and everybody knows everybody's going to be happily forever after. Yeah. And this one, I think a lot of people, well, first of all, I expected it to be a series. And so, and it is because I wrote the second one and it's also in edits, but I don't usually write series with the same characters, So it's a different set of characters from the same book. Mm -hmm. And I loved writing that book. That book represents, I think, a little bit of a shift for me because I do like writing mystery. And the second book is more mystery and less romance. But it makes sense for the characters.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, for those who don't know, before we talk too much about the forthcoming sequel, tell folks the basic rundown on Home the Hard Way.
3: Home the Hard Way is about a detective from Seattle who has kind of screwed up on the job. He's really done something bad and unthinkable, and he's been fired. And he is having a hard time finding a job anyplace else except his hometown where his father was a city councilman. So they kind of give him the hometown welcome, and they actually put him in a job as a detective. He kind of doesn't have to work his way up. And so he has sort of a contentious relationship with the other detectives and some of the other police officers. And it, everybody knows he's there with his tail between his legs. There's a big small-town secret, the secret, you know, that he has to uncover, that he's, he's determined to uncover, and he's got his best friend from childhood that he took care of, really, quite a bit younger than him. But he sort of took this kid under his wing, and he's always... Felt protective toward him, and when he comes back into town, he still has this idea that this kid will need his protection, and he's going to be the big man. And I don't think the kid's having any of it. You know? <laughs> so, so he has to learn new things about his old friend, and there's a modest amount of kink involved in this story, which was also not the Z.A. Maxfield brand. I actually, it's funny, on the back cover of the print version, I took a quote from an Amazon reader who said, this is not your grandma's Z.A. Maxfield book. (laughs) I thought that sort of really says it all, but it it represents a little bit of a darker, both of those stories, you know, being crime scene cleanup is kind of grim. And I mean, that kind of represents a different part of my story because I've written really sort of cotton candy love stories too and i love them but at that moment in my life i guess i was just ready to stretch my wings and create a little cosmic disaster for one of my characters (laughs) so this guy comes into town and he's he's thinking he's you know hot hot stuff and he's not well liked and he's thinking he's gonna be the idol that the, he was to this little kid that was his friend when he was growing up. And he's not that either. And of course he's trying to solve the great mystery of his life, which is why his father killed himself. Cause nobody knows he just came out of the blue. So that was on the hard way. And I have to say, I really, I really thought that was one of my best books. I really enjoyed writing that and I enjoy writing mystery. So I think you'll see more mysteries from me cool. now.
0: I like that I because I've, I have myself have gotten into like the romantic suspense thriller mystery stuff. And I love I to love, read that stuff now. So love, love bring rom- it on.
3: Yeah, I'm hoping you enjoy it. The next incarnation in that series is, is called House on Fire. And it's another kind of gothic story where there's a deep, dark secret and things have to be unearthed. And yet there's also day-to-day life to live. And it's going to be fun, I think. And it's about uh, Bill Fraser, who was in the book Home the Hard Way. Anybody who ever wrote me about that story said, you're going to write his story, right? You're going to write his story because he's inexplicably heroic in the first story, but he's a side character. But he's inexplicably heroic in general. And I just loved him to death. And when I was done writing that book, I thought, oh, he needs his story. So that's the story I'm writing now. It's not with my editor yet because she's working on the other one. I'm currently just making it good enough for her to read. <laughs> she's read it and she gave me some ideas and that was before I handed it off. So I have those two and she's going to have to edit both of them and then I'll put them out. Probably March or April, I would think. Both of those books are complete. They just need to be edited which is my favorite place to be, can <laughs> I tell you? It's when you're scrambling around in the middle of a book and you just, it starts to sag a little and you think, oh no, I love having books that are almost complete and ready to go. And just, these are.
0: So you mentioned that you're into the mystery stuff now and over the summer <laughs> you got to be part of a Mr. Romance anthology called oh, Footsteps yeah. in the Dark uh, oh. alongside some other great authors. Tell us a little bit about the anthology and your story that's in it.
3: Oh, I am so excited about that anthology. It was very much like being at the cool kids' table, you know, being allowed to sit at the cool kids' table. And the, everybody in that anthology is somebody that I, like, one-click read whenever they put out a book. And when they invited me, I was like, they like me, they really like me, you know, it was, it was kind of so exciting. My book in that one, it's called Pepper the Crime Lab, and it's about a man who adopts a black lab named Pepper, he fosters her because his neighbor is murdered and it's his neighbor's dog. Again, it's a mystery. I kind of promised my kids I would write these this series of sort of a cozy mystery. When their first dog passed away, they had a dog their whole childhood named Pepper, and she was a black lab. And so... When she passed away and my kids were so bummed out, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a series of cozy mysteries. And I had like all these titles ready to go. Pepper the Crime Lab is the first. And the next is Salt and Pepper. (laughs) And the the next is Pepper Spices Things Up. And Too Hot for Pepper. So... So I had written written those on my board like four years ago, and I just knew that sooner or later I was going to find the right time and the right place to write this cozy mystery series. And when they told me about that uh, anthology, I thought, oh, this is perfect. So that story is about 35,000 words, and it's mostly to put into place in the reader's mind how my character got the dog – and it it gives him two friends to sort of work on crimes together. You know how all amateur sleuths have to have a cop in their life who gives them information and they have to have a like a lawyer who can give them legal information, you know? Mm-hmm. So I put this together, this kind of book where I would have a character who has a friend who's a lawyer and a friend who's used to be a cop. He works in private security now. So... Those books will be coming out too next year or the year after, whenever I finally get them written. But they're shorter and they're sort of lighthearted and they're cozies. So, but there is not a bad story in that whole anthology. And if you get it on audio, it's 29 hours long. I mean, that's a good deal
0: for your audible credit.
3: One credit, you get like, I think it's eight stories. There's eight of us. And, uh, you know, everybody just said, okay, I'm going to write a novella. And they did, you know, usually when it's a big anthology like that, you get a 10,000 word story, but we all just didn't have a, we didn't have an off button. I've never met a word count. I can't exceed. There are some really wonderful stories in that anthology. Dal McLean's story is, has a lot of scottish jar you know gaelic or i don't know what the language is but you but you're as you're reading it, it there's such an atmospheric delicious flavor of it it's wonderful lb gregg has got one that's sort of a kind of a gamer story lb greg sc Wynn, c.s poe meg perry del McLean, me and one other person, and Nicole Kimberly, of course. I adore her. I really loved her story, too. It's funny that three of us came up with chef characters, and she was one of them, and hers was so delicious. It was a really good story. And the voices are Joel Leslie and Kale Williams. It's wonderful. It's, it's amazing. It's all good. There isn't a bad story in the budge. And I wish I could do something so fun like that every year because that was, it was really a labor of love and it seemed like everybody was championing everyone else's work.
0: We we managed to talk about a lot of stuff that's actually coming in 2020 between the new Grime book and the Home the Hardway sequel and more of of Pepper the Crime Lab. That's correct, Um, yeah. Anything else you can tease us about what's coming next year?
3: Do you know, I honestly, I found that I want to write more mystery, but I want to write in other genres. And just the other day I was talking to Ellie Franks Mm -hmm. and we were chitty chatting and she said, you know, I want to write a gothic book and I thought so do I and I dragged something out of my works in progress you know that folder of things that sort of stares at you oh, yeah. while you're at your computer and they all throb and they say why aren't you working on me well i actually started a gothic story legitimately gothic about it was it's it's actually a retelling of Gawain and the Green Knight and i really i want to tell that story so That's going to be my gothic phase. Am I going to have a gothic phase? Yes, I'm going to have a gothic phase. Where I really wanted to write something with, you know, castles with doors that you shouldn't open, you know, and creepy stuff and some supernatural stuff. And so this this is definitely it's a contemporary retelling of the story of Galvin and the Green Knight.
0: Oh, that's exciting.
3: Isn't that weird? That is like such a weird thing. But I really want to do it. And I think it's going to be a holiday story. So you'll probably won't see it till October or so because it's a, you know, it's a holiday story. I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, Gowan and the green nut is a holiday story. He comes in the holidays, uh, the feast day, and then he comes back a year later. So that's my story. I am looking we, forward to I'm that. just teasing that because it, I haven't gotten so far into it. It's actually, it features a florist who has to deliver a a bunch of anthuriums and poinsettias to a holiday party way up in the mountains, like off the Angeles Crest Highway, you know. And it's a big spooky house that he has to deliver these flowers to. And on the way back, his car breaks down and he ends up with a mysterious and frightening tow truck driver. (laughs) You know, it's that kind of story.
0: I am penciling this in for December, 2020.
3: (laughs) Okay. Well, I hope, you know, I hope it works out as well as I think. I I really do think that it's, you know, it's going to be a good story. I'm looking forward to it because when I... When I opened it back up it really spoke to me for next year so we'll see how that goes So those those are the three things I do have to write a new pepper and I do have to write that one but the other two are 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 already done so cool. and I I do have one more that has been written and it's this it's kind of a you know uh, it's a country story where a man is fixing up a, a decrepit, mansion just outside of Austin and he falls in love with his contractor but that's that's further I mean it's actually finished but I don't like it so rather than throw the entire baby out with the bathwater I put it away for a year and I realized I was gonna have to do some major renovations on that that's what I'm gonna do so that one is also available to go out next year because it's finished I just need to uh, rework it
0: cool and what's the best way for folks to keep up with you online so they can know when all this stuff is coming out?
3: Well, I am pretty much Z-A Maxfield everywhere. I'm Z A Maxfield, all one word, Zam Maxfield. That's my Facebook author page, is Z-A-M-A-X-F-I-E-L-D. But I'm Zam Maxfield. That's my author profile. My 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 Facebook profile. And I have a group. Called ZamNation with a hyphen Z A M dash nation on Facebook. And my Facebook group is small but mighty. We have some fun, and I hope everybody joins it because I want everybody to join it and then they can become my Zambassadors, which is another thing. But I think those are the ways, and I'm, I'm Z A Maxfield on Twitter, I'm Z A Maxfield on Pinterest, I have CA Maxfield everywhere. So pretty much. And my website is www.zamaxfield.com, So I'm pretty easy to find.
0: And we'll put all those links in the show notes too. So so that folks can find them. And everybody should go join Zam Nation. It's a it's 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 a fun place to hang out.
3: It is. And I try to really I try to give value. I try to I've gotta put out my hump day hotties, you know, or or get out my thirst trap Thursday boys, you know, show good pictures. And then I always share books that are free on Fridays. And so I really try and keep in touch and and provide people with links of things to read that maybe won't cost them very much on Fridays. So they have a good weekend reads. That's why I enjoy having a group anyway, because I like to drop in and hang out and do stuff.
0: ZA, thank you so much for hanging out. It's been so good talking to you after so long.
3: Thank you so much for having me. And I feel, you know, being able to share all this is just awesome for me. Thank you very much.
1: This week's interview transcript is brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGateFictionPodcast.com.
0: And thanks once again to ZA for talking to us for a while. Looking forward to getting the sequel to Home the Hard Way coming out next year. That's going to be super exciting. Also, of course, looking forward to seeing Zam at Coastal Magic. And that is a beachside reader weekend that celebrates the magic of stories and storytellers. It's a super casual convention and book signing in Daytona Beach, Florida. And their goal is to bring together authors and readers for a memorable weekend by the beach. With panels designed to start interesting discussions and meet and greets with fun themes, there's something for just about every reader. Saturday's book sale and signing is open to convention attendees as well as free to the public. We hope you'll join us for all the fun February 20th through 23rd, 2020. You can get all the details, including the full list of attending authors at coastalmagicconvention.com.
1: All right, guys, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next week, we cap off the 2019 reading season as Jay from Joyfully Jay and Lisa from The Novel Approach join us to talk about their favorite books of the past year. I have
0: been working on my favorite list, and let me tell you, this is not easy. 2019 has
1: been an amazing year for books. Indeed. I second that. Here here, I second that. <laughs> Remember guys, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time everyone, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part
0: of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media/podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.